I thought I'd come up here so that I could look at the choir and they don't just get the back of my head. <laughs> That's the reason, yeah. <laughs> um, as Jill said, um, many of you will remember me as uh, Margaret Gary rather than Maggie David. Um, for those who, who don't know me, I grew up in this church quite a long time ago now. Um, I think probably some of my Sunday school teachers are here and certainly some people that I was in Sunday school with are here. Um, so it's always a bit strange coming here and, and speaking. Um, and my mum, as many of you will remember too, was a member here until about five years ago, Sheila Gary, um, and she asked to be remembered to you. I'll be seeing her again on, on Friday. Um, as Tim mentioned, we're, we're members of Wycliffe Bible Translators and have been so since 1995, so that's how many years is that? 24 years, I think. Um, and as a church, St. Andrews has supported us during that time in encouragement, in prayers, and in finance, and again, we want to thank you again for that. Um, the work we're involved in certainly isn't something we could do on our own without the support of people and churches like you. Um, just before I get on to the sermon, just to say, give you a very brief update of what we've been doing recently. Um, as many of you will know, we're having been based in Senegal for 13 years. We're now based here in the UK, and we're both involved in supporting Bible translation throughout French-speaking Africa. We do that in different ways, um, and although we're based here, we, we make trips there. I'm usually there sort of five or six times a year for a couple of weeks at a time. Um, Tim is in, in the last, finally, in the last stages of his PhD, um, and after that expects to be doing more trips as he helps people who are trying to work out how best to write down their language so that it can then be, uh, Bible translation can then be done and that people can actually read easily. Um, some of our recently in January I was in Senegal for two weeks and then in February we were actually able to travel together which was nice uh, we spent two weeks in the Ivory Coast in Abidjan um, Tim was working with a translation team helping them work solve some of the issues in how they write their language and I was working with a young woman who's involved in helping in project planning um, and managing translation projects in the country if you want to know more, do talk to us over coffee. We've also got a couple of copies of our latest newsletter. Um, some of you received that directly. Um, the latest one was hot off the press. Um, so if you'd like a copy of that or would like to get it in the future, please do speak to us. Okay, so just before we turn to our passage, let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that through it we can learn more about you, we can grow in our relationship with you, and you can teach us, Lord, how you, the things you want us to do and how we can be more like you. I pray, Father, that now as we look at this passage in Isaiah and the Psalms, that you would speak to each one of us through it. Amen. So, when the two passages that we had read are both from, in fact, the lection readings for the Methodist Church for today, uh, for the, what is it, the third Sunday? Yes, third Sunday in Lent. Um, I'm mainly going to be looking at the Isaiah passage, Isaiah 55, which I believe is on page 616 of the Pew Bibles, but, <laughs> okay, that's just been confirmed. Um, 
but I'm going to refer to Psalm 63 as well. So as always, when looking at passages, it's always important to know the context of of them. Um, And the context of this passage in Isaiah is when the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. They'd been there for a few generations by this point when Isaiah was prophesying. And many of them had started to settle down, to make a, a life there. And in fact, many of them had started to forget that they needed God and had started to lose their vision of who he was. Beginning to feel that, yeah, they just didn't need him now. And that is a great contrast to David. what David says in Psalm 63, where he talks about his whole body longing for God. So they're coming from quite different um, positions. But let's look at what Isaiah 55 actually says. It starts by saying, it starts by giving an invitation to everyone who is thirsty. Verse one, is anyone thirsty? And that reminded me of the time when Jesus in the New Testament, um, in John's Gospel, talks to the Samaritan woman. She's, he's sitting by a well, she comes along, she, she offers to give him water out of the well. But he turns the tables and actually offers her living water, saying, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And right at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, the author of the the book of Revelation says, Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. So this image of the water of life that God offers is something we see throughout the Bible. And here in the Psalm 63 that we heard read to us, David as well talks about his soul thirsting for God. Of course, we all know water is one of those fundamental things to life. Um, When we're tired, when we've expended a lot of energy, that's what we really want, isn't it? Water to quench our thirst. It's not just an invitation, though, to drink. As we follow on in verses 1 and 2, we see that it's also it's an invitation to drink, not just water, to drink water, to drink milk, to drink wine, and it's also to eat. Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. So not only does God invite us to have this water and this food, but it's free, it's a gift from him. And we can read in the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans where he says, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. And then again, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see here in what Isaiah says that it satisfies this food, this drink. And that's repeated or reiterated by David in Psalm 63 in verse 5. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. 
So not only is it being offered, not only is it free, but it's actually much more satisfying than a lot of the other things in this world. And that reminded me too of when Jesus said when he was being tempted by the devil right at the beginning of his ministry. And he said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's God and his word that really can satisfy us. In verse three, we see that it's an invitation to life. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. An invitation to life, an invitation into an everlasting covenant with God and his unfailing love. Now this idea of a covenant that God makes with his people is again something that we see throughout the Bible. Right back after the flood, when the waters have receded, God makes a covenant with Noah and sets the rainbow in the sky as the sign. Then he makes a covenant with Abraham that all his people, he will have descendants as many as numerous as the sands, as the stars. The covenant was renewed when Moses brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And this idea of a covenant continues with Jesus. In Matthew 26 and in the other Gospels too, when during the Last Supper, the last time that Jesus had a meal with his disciples before he was betrayed, he says, Jesus, um, Matthew writes, and Jesus took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Jesus' blood was the sign of the new covenant. The new covenant, the new agreement between humankind and God, bringing us back into relationship with him, allowing us to be reconciled with God. And we see here too God's unfailing love. And again, that's something we see throughout the Bible particularly in the Psalms. I can't remember now which number it is, but there's one, one of the Psalms which has that continual refrain about God's unfailing love. And in Psalm 63, David says it there too, in verse, in verse three, your unfailing love is better than life itself. God's love never gives out. We see that in the Old Testament, whatever, even though so many times his people turned away from him, God didn't stop loving them. We see from this passage of Isaiah that this invitation wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for all people. In verse five we read, you also will command nations you do not know and peoples unknown to you will come running to obey. And that too is a major theme of the Bible. I mentioned Abraham earlier. When God first called Abraham, it wasn't just for Abraham and his family. He called Abraham to be a light, and, and the Israelites to be a light to the nations. The way that Israel acted, the way that people would see God interacting with his people was supposed to bring them to God and to show them who God was. And in Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, 
we read that there will be people from every nation, from every people group, from every language in heaven with us praising God. And that's one of the reasons for Wycliffe's work, to get the Bible into every language so that everyone does have the opportunity to praise God. But there are conditions. Yes, it's an invitation, but there are conditions. In verse 3 we read, Come to me with your ears wide open. And that made me think of how Jesus often, when he was teaching, when he was on earth, the end of his parables would say, anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, of course, we all have ears. So he obviously didn't mean that, literally, if you've got ears. But what he was saying was that we need to make an active decision to listen to him, and then we'll understand. To have ears wide open, which requires an effort on our behalf. We're actually wanting to listen and to hear what God says. In verse 6, Isaiah tells the people to seek the Lord, to change their ways and to turn to the Lord. And verse 6, actually, there's a warning in there because it says, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. And I think that's the warning to not keep putting it off. If God is speaking to us and calling us, to not think, oh, well, think about that tomorrow. Seek him while he is near. Turn to him now. It's a call to repent. It's a call to, yes, God calls us all to, to come to him and invites us all to come to him. But he calls us too to, to stop doing wrong things. He calls us to stop sinning and to turn to him and to live in the way that he wants us to. But if we do that, God's response is merciful. In verse 7, he's merciful and he's a generous forgiver. I don't know about you, but um, sometimes someone might you know, say sorry, want me to forgive them for something, and sometimes my response can be a bit begrudging, oh, all right then, we don't do it again. Um, but God's not like that. When we turn to him and ask for his forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's a promise that we read in the first letter of John. If we turn to him, he will forgive us. There's no doubt in that. And towards the end of the passage we read, we see that God's word is also a messenger. Verse 11 says, it is the same as with my word, I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So God sends out his word. And God also sent out Jesus in the gospel written by John. Um, John talks about Jesus as being the word. So both the Bible and Jesus himself are God's message to us. And this, that's going to have an effect. God's word is living. We read that in the letter to the Hebrews. God's word is living and active. It's not just an old book that was written thousands, hundreds and thousands of years ago of historical interest, of 
literature interest. No, it's living and active and it has a purpose and that's to go out and to do what God wants. The passages we've read today, of course, are part of God's word. This invitation to the Lord's salvation. And this is God saying here, but this will bear fruit. The invitation that he is giving will bear fruit. People will respond. And that's why Wycliffe is involved in translating the Bible. Because we believe that God will speak through it. People will respond and will turn to him through the message of the Bible in a language they can understand. But so what? What does that mean for us today, sitting here in 2019 in Skipton? Well, I think there's some challenges for us, but there's also some encouragements. Remember, I said the context here was that the people of God had settled down and become prosperous and started really to forget that they needed God. And I think that's a challenge to us all too. Have we lost our vision, our desire for God? Is he just an optional extra in our lives? Are we like the Christians um, that are written to at the beginning, near the beginning of the book of Revelation, who've lost their first love for Christ? Do we realize how much we need him? Can we actually say, like David, I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. Is that really our reality? And also, are we putting off turning to him? Maybe there's things in our lives that we know aren't right. Uh, Maybe God is calling us to deal with those. Maybe he's calling us to do other things. Are we thinking, well, I don't have time for that now. I'll think about that next week, next year. When the kids have left home, then I'll have time. Turn to him whilst he is near. But of course the encouragement is that if we seek God and turn away from wrong things, then he will forgive us. He'll always forgive us whether it's the first time we turn to him or whether it's the thousandth time we turn to him. We have a God who forgives generously. And he will give us that living water that he is talked about in Isaiah, is talked about in John, is talked about in Revelation. That living water that really will satisfy us. There's also the encouragement that God's word will bear fruit. There's times when we feel that nothing really makes any difference to anyone around us. It will bear fruit because it's God's word and it's living. So let's remember that we can't live without God's word. As Jesus said, we can't just live with food. We need his word. So I think this is, to me, this is an encouragement to continue to read God's word, to study it, to share it with others so that they too can find God whilst he is near. Amen.